0: The with your host, DJ Rome. Okay, we are back. KCWG, the truth.com's program is called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome, and I am very proud to welcome back our next guest. Ladies and gentlemen, as the conversations intensity increase with the discussions of reopening schools and reopening the economy and the country as a whole, uh, the vaccination chat is uh, it's running rampant and people all across the country are now facing the prospect of whether or not to get this vaccine that is being offered uh, to its citizens. Uh, President Biden has made a projection that he hopes by uh, well, certainly before years in to have at least 600 million dosages of the vaccine. So uh, I wanted to talk to someone who has uh, been one of the earliest pioneers of this dosage, if you will. Uh, the good brother has been here multiple times before. He's a cardiologist out of D.C. And I am so happy he's here to help us with this conversation. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Bump School. Our good brother, Dr. Reggie Robinson, Dr. Robinson. Hey, are you-
1: I'm here. Hey, how, how you
0: doing, brother? Oh, cool. And the gang, good brother. How are you doing? I I, I kind of gave a tease that you've already tried this out, man. How are you feeling today?
1: I'm doing well. Um, not an issue had both vaccines a little over a month ago, and um, I put it all into perspective. You know, there are questions about the virus and the vaccine, and what I do know, there are no questions about people are dying.
0: Oh, how about that? Okay, well, let's dispel some of that because there is some concern, uh, Reggie. I mean, this is one of those issues that has met with rare bipartisan, Um, consensus and that Trump supporters are actually on par a little bit with the African American uh, population, you know, and that might be a stretch, but both of them, both of those groups are somewhat skeptical about taking this vaccine for various reasons. So uh, what are some of the common uh, misnomers about this vaccine that you've run into? And can you dispel a little of them for us?
1: Well, one that it came about too quickly. Yep. You know, it certainly came about in an era of chaos, no no uh, coordinated action or plan for the, uh, the pandemic across the country. You know, one state will do something within that state. Each city would do something different. And so there was no coordinated activity um, around this. So of course, that's going to bring skepticism and you put so much politics in it. That's a, you know, you, you can't get over that. That's, that's, that's happened. We can't do anything about that portion of it, but, uh, in all, uh, in all actuality, it's not something that just happened and they developed it last year during the pandemic,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, messenger RNA, uh, data or research has been going on for, you know, a number of years and they have been even within the COVID trials, um, over, you know, tens of thousands or, you know, more than that really have been in studies and studies are all gone because it's quote novel, right? Hmm. So if you are thinking that they just pull it off the the shelf somewhere and it automatically just came from nowhere, it it initially started with uh, research in oncology or cancer where they would get these messenger RNA, I'll explain that in a second, that would go and find the cancer cells and allow your body to produce a fighting defense against specific cells themselves. Mm. so messenger rna another uh miss uh you know or or uh conspiracy thing is or not necessarily conspiracy a question is will it alter my dna it never gets into the nucleus that's where the dna is Mm. the rna may come into the cell it comes into the cell that's how it gets there and the dna and the body itself looks at that messenger rna the messenger RNA is coded for the protein spikes, the crown, the corona. That's what mm. the corona means, crown. The okay. spikes that are on the virus outside.
2: Mm.
1: Those are also the, um, the way that the spikes are, the way that the cells, uh, the va- virus gets inside of cells. So mm. now your body sees these messenger RNA that's coding for the protein spikes. It starts to produce two different cells. B cells that produce antibodies, and T-cells would actually uh, actually go out and try to kill viruses. It's different from traditional vaccines. Mm-hmm. Traditional vaccines, you get a, a killed virus generally, like flu vir- vaccine. Uh, but this one, you have <clears throat> no virus at all as its template.
3: Hmm.
0: Okay, that's uh, very informative. And you're right, I've been seeing some uh, posts and people sharing their skepticism by way of, uh, I don't know if it's fair to call them fringe medical experts that talk about uh, the ways in which this can potentially alter your DNA. But what you're saying is that there's little efficacy to those those claims, right? Yeah. And this, this, it's destroyed
1: after it's utilized and made the protein.
0: But of course, they're going to be ongoing
1: trials. No one can say never for any of this. Uh, Because it's novel. They call it the novel coronavirus, a novel new vaccine. Mm -hmm. Uh, Polio virus was a new uh, polio vaccine was a new vaccine, but we don't have polio anymore. So we got to the level where the majority or all of the population was actually mandated to get polio vaccine when they had the polio outbreaks. And do we see polio anymore? No, no. Uh, Polio vaccine was new when they created it Mm. because they had to fight the vac the virus. Measle, mumps, rubella, rubella. We get those vaccines. Our kids have to get them. Um, uh, of course, it's a different technology because you're using part of the actual virus to make mm-hmm. the vaccine. Um, this vaccine doesn't use eggs or proteins uh, or other type of um, products that are neg- another type of va- the the other virus or vaccinations usually use, where they may have proteins from egg products. Mm-hmm. That's why they. That to, to generate the cell lines.
0: Oh, how about that? How about these new strains that they're talking about now out of uh, perhaps South Africa and maybe uh, other countries? Uh, in what ways, if any, is this impacting upon the uh, the effectiveness of this current vaccine that's uh, going around in uh, this country?
1: So the nature of a virus is that the more people get it and the more they interact and the more the body tries to alter it, viruses are extremely smart. They, they mutate. That's why you get a new flu flu vaccine every year, right? You don't get the same flu vaccine and you're done. There are certain viruses that are more amenable to changing than others. So the mutation, the South African virus uh, or strain is uh, a lot more contagious and probably a little more deadly because it's mutated due to its genetic process. The uh, UK variant, the Brazilian variant, and I'm sure we'll see more and more deadly variants that are out there but -hmm. the whole thought of getting as many people vaccinated as possible you limit the number of hosts that the vaccine can routinely and just get in and start dividing and then mutating and going on to the next person yeah that's when you hear this people when people talk about quote herd immunity it's trying to this quote herd immunity where multiple people are vaccinated and as a virus you still can get Uh, coronavirus. There's some other studies that are coming out now that say you maybe not be able to get sick or infiltrate your cells based on the T cells and B cells that the vaccine makes your body produce when you're exposed, but you still can get it and you still can infect others if you had the vaccine. So that's another thing that people should know that Hmm. if you have the vaccine, don't go willy nilly and start planning your next get together and party and taking your mask off and doing all of that. That's Absolutely not! What you should do.
0: Oh, absolutely. Any thoughts in those studies that's coming out right now? Why South Africa? Uh, is there any uh, explanation as to what, why? Uh, is it because of increased travel from that region? And what is it about? If it's related to just the in the environment that the viruses are formed in, uh, what's what have you found out about why these viruses originate from where they do come from?
1: It's probably related to travel. Um, mm. I don't think, I think uh, there's something specific about a country like Brazil, you know, mm. the UK, South Africa. Um, that, that once they interact with other strains, then it's uh, likely that they can also interact and, and mutate based on environmental influences on the virus itself so um mm. and there are probably other strains that they just name it after the place they isolated oh i see i see. like you know they would have wanted to call this the the wuhan back uh, coronavirus but they just took that off and called it coronavirus
0: right right so the, the two shots that you have personally taken, uh, can you talk to us a little bit more about those? Uh, Pfizer and Moderna, those are the companies, right? Uh, or are they the actual names of the vaccines?
1: The, the name of the, com- uh, the companies. And Pfizer's um, partnered with another biomedical um, company to design theirs. Um, one, there's a thought that it should have some efficacy on the strains, but you know they'll have to study that further to see how how that is. And that's, you know, of course, hard to do um, unless you're out taking blood from everyone who's had a, uh, an infection and got the uh, vaccine. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, the difference between the Pfizer and the Moderna, um, they believe now that the Pfizer may not have to be stored at minus 80 to minus 60 degrees. Uh, whereas uh, the Moderna is somewhere around minus 25 to minus 15 degrees, which our refrigerators can do that. But you have to have specialized um, refrigeration and freezers to store down to minus 80 to minus 60 degrees. Mm -hmm. So that makes it less accessible to remote areas a lot of time if you don't have that uh, cooling system or those kind of freezers and transportation getting there to these remote areas areas of the of the country most major cities will have that capability mm-hmm. um but that's the biggest difference uh, the storage the um number of days that you have to get the second one with the modernity recommend 28 days for the second shot where the pfizer about roughly 21 days for your second shot
0: okay okay symptoms and-
1: to, similar symptoms across the board as with um, any other vaccine, uh, some achiness at the injection site, mm-hmm. some people uh, fever, some fatigue or malaise.
0: Hmm. Uh, when should one be concerned? Um, some of the symptoms we've been trained to look for, our eyes and ears have been trained to watch out for fevers, watch out for a, a cough, a persistent cough and a uh, sore throat. Uh, in what ways are we to be alerted if those symptoms emerge after the vaccine, compared to what we are looking for, for coronavirus. Any way to tell the difference?
1: Um, I think it's the duration. Usually they, you know, somewhere you'll see the symptoms in the first 24 to 72 hours or so. But if you have a persistent fever four or five days out, then that's probably not normal. Um, And you should probably get checked because, you know, people will get their first shot and actually, continue being exposed and can get coronavirus. Mm. So um, you shouldn't take your guard down after the first or second dose of the vaccine. So if something's progressed, I don't know if maybe the CDC has a specific date, but mm. if you know, you're know you having persistent high fevers, that shouldn't give you persistently high fevers, say three, four, five days down the line.
0: Mm. Okay. Is there anyone, I mean, I guess there's all types of uh, preexisting conditions out there, And knowing how virulent the uh, COVID has been, it's decimated our numbers. As of this conversation, Dr. Reggie, we're upwards of half a million people in this country. And so is there anyone that is not recommended to take it? I know there is a tier system in terms of who's the priority right now, 65 and up, and uh, frontline workers such as yourself, essential clientele. Um, Is there anybody that the CDC is not recommending to take the uh, vaccine right now?
1: If you had a severe, what they call anaphylactic reaction to other vaccines, then you have to you know, do extreme caution. Then if you do, they, they don't say that you can't get it, but you would have to be monitored a lot longer while you know, after you get it. Because when you get the vaccine, you have to, they, they want you to sit there for 15 to 20 minutes or so hmm. and be first before you leave. And then if you do get the vaccine, you should go on the CDC website and register for V-safe, V as in victory or virus, safe. Mm-hmm. And they send you a, a text every day and I'm still getting them a month down the line for, they check, they uh, send you a text every day to ask you if you have a, a list of symptoms, check mm-hmm. yes. Oh, and is it limiting your work ability? Is it limiting your lifestyle? Those kind of, you know, check mark things. And it's important to do that because that's the way they can track numbers and side effects. Okay. And I got my, you know, a- after probably about a month a little less than a month actually they send me another one say hey did you get your second shot and Mm -hmm. then i say yes then i'll start getting more texts on a weekly basis how are you feeling did you have any other symptoms
2: Mm.
1: called v-safe so you should if you have the vaccine get signed up on the cdc website for v-safe like virus safe
0: how about that that's like contact tracing but vaccine tracing huh (laughs) right that's kind of cool all right, well, I, I got to ask you this. This is KCWG, the truth.com's program called Psychiatry Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. We're joined by the good brother, Dr. Reggie Robinson, cardiologist out of Washington, D.C. He's helping us break down uh, the progression of this vaccine that he himself has taken, and he's helping educate us, ladies and gentlemen, about the, uh, the vitality and the necessity of possibly considering this for ourselves. Uh, I have a vital question, but I want to go back real quick. Johnson & Johnson has been in the news lately, lately also as being a company, a large uh, trusted commodity, I, I guess, that is also considering um, adopting uh, a form of a vaccine. I'm not sure if I have that right. Have you heard much about Johnson & Johnson getting involved in this?
1: Yeah, they are. They are just like AstraZeneca. And there are several companies that are out there that are in development. And it generally is those kind of uh, companies that uh, tend to have uh, easier release in other countries. Um, they, you know, like AstraZeneca is not here, J- J&J certainly is not ready yet, um, but it has to go through the same strict standards from the FDA and even uh, uh, even the rapidity of getting these out to, to market, they still have to go through the strain, same stringent, um, independent review of the data, mm-hmm. independent review uh, of studies not, done just by johnson and johnson but by other uh, experts mm-hmm. on their own so it's almost like you, you can't just deck the deck and, the, and i have the data and i'm producing something that i'm actually selling right sorry about the buzzing that's me i'm on call uh, um, and um yes sir and so uh i'm not it, it's not uh, far down the line as of yet Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's not uh, I I believe that one may be a single dose. Uh, But again, waiting the the jury's out for for that.
0: Okay. now I just thought of another question. I'm getting you. I'm getting to my main one in just a second. But uh, you're on the East Coast and out there where you are. I think you all I mean, you guys are naturally colder than we are out here on the West Coast. But didn't you recently experience a a, a very. high level of a cold front out there in DC, just like they're, well, not just like, but Texas is what I'm leading up to has just experienced a very, very uh wintry season. uh If you will. I mean, those people are uh, experiencing some very rare uh temperature modules right now. And um, it has slowed down the, uh, the production of the vaccine, I think at least delivery wise um, does does, is there any way that extreme cold weather, I mean, we talked about the storage of the vaccine itself in terms of freezer spaces, but what about environmentally, uh, outdoors, uh, any impact on uh, the delivery, the, uh, the, uh, the production of the vaccine in the wake of things that may be happening in Texas and in those areas where they're experiencing some unusual weather patterns? Any thoughts on that?
1: Well, certainly it's, you know, transportation and getting the vaccines to where they need to go. And when you do get them there, places like Texas, they probably can't, you know, you have to think about storage and you need generators or mm. uh, electricity to store those vaccines. So now you have a, uh, a site where they have a whole state, uh, most of the state actually uh, was in the dark. Mm. Now they're dealing with issues. So all of that hampers and slows down the response to getting people vaccinated. Here uh, on the East Coast, it generally a little more um, on top of it with uh, how the electric system is and uh, the streets and keeping the streets plowed mm-hmm. uh, and transport um, medications. But I had two patients. Well, actually, I had one patient to call today where they were waiting for the medication that was coming from out of state somewhere by FedEx and. They need me to call something in locally because they were having travel issues uh, um, getting here. I'm not sure which state uh, it was actually coming from.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There are some, male, many patients get their medication available.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, we have a lot of conscientious objectors, uh, Dr. Reggie, uh, yeah. amongst our own community. And um, overcoming the skepticism of people who have had an inherent distrust of the medical community giving the treatment of African-Americans in this country? Uh, in what ways uh, has your initiative helped in that regard, helped in that conversation to sort of ease tensions? And what about those amongst us that, uh, despite the, the scientific data that's empirically available uh, online by a simple Google, um what are your thoughts on overcoming that skepticism do you is is there any way we can meet people where they are without uh casting aspersions about their uh willingness to contain this virus or not what are your thoughts on that
1: i I was on a call with some other uh physicians we you know gave a little update on the the virus and the vaccine to a group of well highly educated brothers that you know and uh Mm. they had a lot of questions and skepticism Mm. and Not just, you know, based on your socioeconomic status where you might have some questions or issues about the vaccine and safety and experimentation. And I think one of them, you know, said, brother said, um, this was a powerful, um, you know, statement because, or uh, session, because they've been through several different ones like this, but the point was that they were being, the presenters were white. Mm -hmm. And to see three, uh, actually four black physicians talk about it and openly answer questions and Mm -hmm. talk about the things that we know about Tuskegee. Tuskegee, that was just done on African-American men. You didn't include an actual vaccine. So that's a a difference. So of of course, we've been studied from the time we've been here Mm -hmm. um, in this country. And one of the first people that invented the smallest pox vaccine was an enslaved person who came to this country. And I believe it was Cotton Mathers um, recognized from the, the enslaved person that he didn't get smallpox because you know, he told him that back in his country that they would just take portions of the, the pox from one person and put it to the next person and how they got inoculated. Mm. And so the history comes um, down the line, and and in studying inoculation and vaccination, and um, how quote uh, herd immunity starts. Mm-hmm. So I, I believe putting a face to it, you're still gonna have your doubters. Mm-hmm. And of course, anything new, you you know you you'll always question, and you should question it. Yeah. And you should never downplay someone's concerns mm-hmm. or questions, and say, "Oh man, you're tripping. You know you you need to just stop acting like." everyone's after you. If it's their concern, it's their concern. You just have to do your best in telling them that this is what we know, this is where we are. Stick to scientifically controlled studies. You don't necessarily, you know, CDC is a good place, but it was politicized last year and it lost a lot of disrespect. Yes. But there are other medical journals that you have multiple different studies, the New England Journal of Medicine, Lancet, um, Journal of American Medical Association, where independent researchers have gone out to do research on the virus, the vaccine. So just do your due diligence and not just pick it up from the internet or a Google search or yes,
0: uh, go to the actual medical journals. Yes, absolutely. Well, one more thing before we let you go, Uh, the debate about reopening schools and the virility of coronavirus amongst young children in grades K through eight, uh, even down to preschool, again, the politicization, (laughs) haha that word, of this uh, argument, uh, it it should have never emerged in the first place. And of course it was uh, a novel phenomenon in the last administration. And uh, we're praying that that is gonna be much less so under President Biden and uh, Vice President Harris. Uh, Your thoughts before we let you go on uh, what the, well, since you named those other journals, what are some of those publications that you just talked about? What are some of those publications saying about reopening schools right now? And particularly as it affects the African-American and minority communities that are devastated by coronavirus?
1: What I would say also have the people listening go to Black Coalition Against, the Black Coalition Against COVID. Mm. Black scientists, physicians, doctors, um, public health experts that have joined, um, and there's they they have a lot of the information on their website, the Black Coalition Against COVID. So you can go there. Nice. You said politicization. I think the lack of politicization because mm-hmm. there is coordinated, no coordinated, um, no coordinated uh, strategy for this. So that's why it's all over the place. Yes. You know, have a political stripe where you're going to follow some particular. Uh, anti-vaxxers or mm-hmm. conspiracy theory your governor or your yeah. mayor is going to do what they think quote their constituents want so there needs to be standardization and federalization of a plan you know certainly it gets down to communities you know harlem is different from the midwest mm. you have people stacked on top of each other and high-rise buildings and you know lack of Uh, you know, amenities within the school system. So you're still going to have to have a local influence on determining when people get back to school. Mm. Um, I'm saying all that because there is no clear answer. You know, one thing here in DC, Northwest DC may not work for, you know, folks in Southeast DC. Mm. Right. So, although kids may not get as sick, who do they come home to? They come home to parents, grandparents um, who can be, Come extremely ill, and we have to uh, look at what happens down the line when people quote have asymptomatic COVID or mild symptoms of COVID. There are studies that show MRIs. When you do an MRI of someone's heart who's had COVID and maybe some inflammation of the heart, you can still see the inflammation in the heart a month later. So it's not that we have to, you know, lose focus and say, "Oh, it's mild." Oh, there are the kids. Yeah. What's going to happen with the vascular? stuff, the inflammatory things that can happen to the kids. So there is no right answer. Um, It's going to have to be a a local coordinated with a national strategy and and looking at that particular environment, how do people get to school? You know, our kids are being left behind because they don't have access to the school now. There are kids that are stuck at home that may have had school as their sanctuary from abuse or uh, physical, mental abuse or even getting food. So all those challenges uh, affect timing to going back to school. So I say all of that to say, I can't tell you, uh, because it's not one simple thing, uh, cookie cutter response across the country.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's what we want. We want honest responses during this time. As you said, um, I think that's the best way to overcome any skepticism because there's so many things that we do not know so many things that we're not sure about. And, um, keeping ourselves informed and talking to people who are in the know experts such as yourself and the uh those ally ships that you just spoke about a minute ago is going to be vital during this time well dr reggie robinson is a cardiologist out of washington dc y'all he's been here multiple times uh good brother thank you so much will you join us again on psychotic bump school
1: sure of course
0: i appreciate you man this is kcwg.com's <laughs> program's called psychotic bump school i'm dj rome that was the good brother dr reggie robinson y'all stay tuned for more we're right back after this
4: Dr. Miracle Anakute was ecstatic when he was able to register for and receive the COVID-19 vaccine on Wednesday.
3: Hearing about this vaccine and seeing the fruition of the clinical trials for both the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine brings great joy to a lot of us healthcare workers because now we're able to tackle this disease head on. For those who are debating whether or not to get the vaccine, please, please get the vaccine especially for those in the African-American population. The healthcare system has not been kind to the African-American population and also to the minority population. We have the blight in medical history and in African-American history and the history of humanity with the Tuskegee experiments. And this puts a lot of African-Americans Puts them in a place where they're afraid of the medical system and new medications and new drugs and new vaccines and new treatments that come in from the scientific community, rightly so they should be. But this is not Tuskegee.
1: What's happening? This is Mark Maxwell, host of Rise, heard on KPFK. But right now, you're listening to one of my influences, the good brother DJ Rome on Psychotic Bump School. You know, the place where education and entertainment meet at the
0: intersection of funk and soul. All
2: the smoke in the air, feel the hate when they stare, all the pain that we bear.
0: Dot com. This program's called Psychotic Bump School, I'm DJ Rome, and ladies and gentlemen, as you know, with the onset of the new administration coming in, we have brand new policies kicking into gear, and nevertheless, the pandemic of coronavirus 19 is still with us, and so it's going to be very interesting to see how this will all play out, and to help us understand how things are looking right now, present day, I wanna welcome back this wonderfully talented and informed and knowledgeable California epidemiologist. That's epidemiologist, let me get that on correct. Uh, she's by way of Southern California and Northern California, I believe Northern California. So uh, this good sister has put it down before and her last appearance here was definitely well received. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, our good sister, Dr. Flo Jean AKA Dr. Flo. Dr. Flo, are you there?
4: I am. Thank you for the warm welcome. It's good
0: to be back. Good to have you back. Why do I confuse you between Southern and Northern California? You are Northern California all day, right?
4: I am. I'm in Sacramento, Um, but I do work for an organization that is statewide, so maybe that's why. That's probably why. (laughs)
0: Yeah, go ahead. Bail me on out. I know I... Mangled that introduction, but thank you for your kind words. <laughs> so the world of epidemiology, Dr. Flo, uh, the last time you were here, you sort of gave us a, a precursor of uh, to what the science actually is. And so we have been well informed by your last visit here. So since that time, subsequent to that, at that time, the election results hadn't been certified and Biden and Harris had not been sworn in. So I'm wondering, since that time, what has been happening in the world of epidemiology, particularly with the rollout of the vaccine? Can you get us caught up a little bit?
4: Sure. So a lot of what I'm going to get you caught up on is um, uh, uh, pre-Biden-Harris administration, because they've only been in office for about a week at this point. Um, So most of what was happening predates them. Uh, So, But right after we spoke, there were, in December, um, there were two FDA meetings where the the vaccines were covered. Um, In those meetings, the first was the Pfizer, and then after that was Moderna. And so as a result of those meetings, they are now under emergency use authorization, which means that they can be given to the broader public beyond just their randomized control trials. And so lots of people have begun getting vaccines. The rollout for that, however, has been slower than what was anticipated in part because of production issues. Um, And then there was a tiered system to be able to try to make sure that anybody who got a vaccine in the first round, because the vaccine requires two doses, that they are prioritized to get the second round. Otherwise, you have a bunch of people with a less effective vaccine coursing because it's only been tested with you getting those two doses in exactly that right timing. So we don't know if it's less effective if you wait longer before you get the second dose. Um, So that was a real consideration, right? We got to get enough people up and we got to make sure we can get them in. We have the capacity and organization to get them in for two visits within this tight three week Um, timeframe. And so that has caused you know, concerns about the rollout and about who's getting it and about who's, who's also refusing it, recognizing in full, and this is the position that I and my organization have taken, is we are trying to provide people with factual information, but we're not trying to persuade people because we have to recognize um, that this is under emergency use authorization. And that means it's not a fully approved therapeutic yet which means that there are things we don't know, but that the benefit of getting it to the population Um, based on the data exceeds those risks or those perceived risks, I should say. And so that's why we're doing this. That's what you need to be able to be under that emergency authorization. Um, And so that's a really confusing thing to be if you happen to be in one of the groups where you don't even have clinical trial data yet, right? Pregnant women, we know nothing about how this impacts them. Uh, People who are immune compromised, we know nothing about how this impacts them. So we have to hold space for the fact that this thing looks like, it is going to, it's 95% effective, which is ma- majorly effective um, at preventing this deadly virus that has killed hundreds of thousands of people and harmed way more, um, short and long term effects. Yeah. Based against how much we still don't know, because we the, the virus has only been around a year, the vaccine has only been around a couple of months. And so, you know, we're balancing those two things out, right? And that's difficult. And so it, it does make sense to have some messengers there who are just trying to provide you information, and not trying to persuade you, because there are, there are facts, and there is fiction. But in terms of making right. this decision, we have to honor the fact that it's a big one, and there's a lot that goes into it.
0: Okay, so help us with some facts on this because the last time you were here, I think you said that epidemiologists basically work on vaccines year round. So can you give us a little idea about the timeline and how actually new this vaccine is? Um, is it brand new? Did they rush it out? Uh, how assured can people be that this has been well studied, crafted so that it is as safe as possible in its administration?
4: Sure. So. Yes, um, there are epidemiologists around the world um, and and immunologists around the world uh, that are working on vaccines all year long, Um, and not just in the production side in terms of making sure that seasonally there's a flu vaccine, but they're also thinking about the development of new vaccines for new viruses. And so what people, because we call it coronavirus, people forget that the actual name of this virus is SARS-CoV-2, which is severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus 2, which means there's a SARS-CoV-1 that has already been studied. It just did not end up being one that was going to make as many people sick as SARS-CoV-2. But they, that means they also have a lot in common, hence why they're named similarly. And so we've learned a lot from that. And of course, the word SARS is going to sound familiar to everyone because we because for those of you who were, you know, old enough to, to remember it, if you have younger listeners, 2003 was when SARS came on the the you know the scene in Southeast Asia. Um and so we again we learned from a core component of what this how this virus moves. So for the last 17 now 18 years, that's been studied. Um so yes, we there is a major rush to be able to come up with something specific to the virus that's just come out. But anytime that happens, there usually are other viruses that we've seen that are similar, and we benefit from all that we've already learned about them in the attempt to produce something new. So yes, it's new, also it's based on 17 years of research. And so if you think 17 years is rushed, then maybe it's rushed. But I do understand the thinking Mm -hmm. because this is a brand new virus, right?
0: Absolutely, like they used to say in hip hop, don't call it a comeback. Uh, Mm -hmm. I've been here for
4: years. Yeah, (laughs) for
0: real, for real. Uh, you talk about the emergency authorization use. Can you speak to us a little bit more about that, about which communities have been declared uh, eligible or uh, ready for such an emergency authorization? Is it the impact of communities that where we see in Northern California, for example, you mentioned Sacramento, there are some mm-hmm. communities that have been red and purple tier uh, for quite some time. Um, are those the types of communities nationwide that are eligible for this emergency authorization first?
4: So I want to make something clear that when we're talking about the the emergency use authorization, it's not specific to communities. It's an FDA designation for something new. So normally the FDA doesn't allow the general public to get access to a new drug or treatment until it has been fully vetted in clinical trials, because you want to make sure it's safe. But there are some times, like when we're in a pandemic, where you would want to get something out earlier than usual because the benefits far outweigh the new risks, right? So this time last year, we didn't have 400,000 people dead. So it would not have made sense to rush through some vaccine for some virus that's not, you know, an imminent threat. Now we're sitting on 400,000 people dead and millions of people who've gotten sick. And so that calculus changes. But then there's, that's separate from how, states and counties decide they're going to distribute their vaccine so that can be a priority tier and we're seeing that right we started with healthcare workers and we started with people over 75 and then because of the data we decided to drop it down to people over 65 so that's the part the distribution is is the part that where we certainly should be thinking about communities but i do want to separate that out from the fda's designation of the vaccine as being under emergency use
0: Okay, I appreciate that. And is it fair to say that's a federalized uh, distinction if it comes from the FDA, that means it's 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 government uh, infused, right? In terms of yeah, the, so the,
4: the... the FDA is a public entity um, where that reviews anything that's going to be put out for distribution to make sure that it is safe enough for human um, consumption okay and so that's that's where that um, emergency use comes from so they're saying for the nation it mm-hmm. is this thing is proven to be to be helpful enough that we want to get it to you earlier than we normally would because any potential risks at this point are less important than the benefits you're about to get from having been vaccinated. That's what that that use authorization means.
0: Okay, got it. And what people are hoping for, at least some people, is is that there will be more coordination between federal and local governments. In California, for example, where you and I are, Gavin Newsom uh, just recently rolled back uh, restrictions from the coronavirus. And you were talking a little bit about the data and how uh in some aspects we're still learning so much about it uh what can you speculate a little bit about what data he might have been referencing to to roll back um the restrictions to 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 lift some of the burdens on these businesses uh i think that means we go back to the tier system if we ever left that can you spotlight on that a little bit what that rollback means and what data he might have been referring to in doing so
4: Yes, um, you know, this decision is is quite controversial and it's one that, you know, I'm not sure we're in a place, I mean, I want to disagree with with Gavin a bit here, Um, but I think what he's looking at is that we entered this peak in November where we were at risk of running out of our um, you know, our emergency room beds, our ICU beds, right? And so that was always one of the primary considerations for how much of the state to shut down, what things to keep closed, to try to be able to keep the transmission lower, like right. without, you know, without relegating everybody to their homes and telling them they could never leave, we were never gonna get the transmission down to zero, but we wanted to have as few people as possible and as much projection as possible so it wasn't running rampant through the community. And so in November what ended up happening was as the holidays were approaching and the weather was getting colder people were spending more time more time indoors and this virus started spreading a lot faster. And so we thought we had a peak. Remember back in July when we thought we had a peak and then we yeah. saw our cases going down? Yes. Now that peak you can barely see on a on a, a graph because the peak looks like just baseline, right? Because of how big the peak in November and December is, it changed the margins of the graph so that now that little peak looks like barely nothing, right? Mm. Um, and so, and so all of this is happening, right? And so now we're starting to see those cases fall off because the holidays are over and people are are I guess congregating less, and so so we're starting to see it go down. And so what I think the calculus is, is we're starting to see it go down. We know when we have these more severe shutdowns, they really harm, you know, the economy and put people at risk. So we're going to try to reopen. I think the challenge though, is that there's a way to do that without having to reopen the economy that prioritizes business over people's lives and over the transmission of this virus. And, ju- and because we, we actually have the data to show that if we keep these se- more severe restrictions for just a little bit longer, we get out of this. Um, and if we don't, we don't end up getting out of this. And there's a calculation on how many more people will die, how many more people will get sick and have long-term effects because of it, all of that. So I mean, that's the thing I think we have to consider. And I prioritize people over the businesses because we could always just give people enough relief so they don't have to lose their shirt to be able to keep their life.
0: I mean, I'm getting triggered listening to you right now. I saw a video maybe a week ago or so, I think it was uh, the singer Trey Songs or someone, or no, it was a Bow Wow having this big, massive concert uh, mm-hmm. somewhere across the country, maybe Texas or Georgia. I can't recall. But it, it's, it seems so premature to me, Dr. Flo. I mean, obviously, yeah. without being privy to the numbers, as you are, this doesn't seem like it's a smart move. As you said, California was the model of for the, for the entire country there for a while way back in July when we had, quote unquote, flattened the curve and put those yeah. early restrictions in. And we were the talk of the town, and now, um, of course, him shooting himself in the foot, getting caught out there, you know, dining in public without yes. a mask. I mean, that severely hurt his credibility, but you're absolutely right. I mean, I'm very concerned, Dr. Flo. this feels, I mean, you know, I'm just speaking from emotion now because I can, you know, but data wise, this doesn't feel like it adds up. And I, I'm very concerned that this is a premature move. And so who's speaking I, to I him? Too. You said there's a calculus out there. So is Gavin Newsom? Privy to that calculus, who who's speaking to him about this?
4: He he is, but I mean, I think these are this is the the difference in what you see in the data and what you decide to do with it, right? Is that interpretation? So he's being presented with the data, and he's making oh a, a decision that the weight on the economy as it's currently set up is a bigger risk than the number of people who will die. I mean, that's essentially what we're deciding. We're trading lives for the economy, right? Yes. Yes. Um, I don't make that same decision because I value them differently. Uh, And because Mm. I think that there are other ways of being able to, my only concern about the economy is how it impacts the people. So if that's my primary concern, I think there's a way to attend to the economy that doesn't threaten the people. But if that's not your calculus. if you
0: Yeah, that's what a caring, empathic person would say, right? So how would that, what would that look like, Dr. Flo?
4: That would look like when we first shut down in March, giving everybody enough money so that we Mm -hmm. could, so that they could pay their housing um, and, you know, food and all of those things so that people weren't trying to decide, do I not, do I want to? protect myself from this deadly virus? Or do I want to continue to not be experienced, not like to keep my home and to continue to eat, right? Mm. Like, that's not a decision somebody should have to make. You shouldn't have to decide, am I going to, to essentially live or, you know, live, you know, comfortably and have my needs met or not have my basic needs met? That's never a decision anybody should have to make. So if we had secured those things back when this started, A, we could have kept the transmission rate low for enough time for potentially a vaccine to be delivered at the end of the year. We're talking about just slowing things down for a year and making everybody comfortable for that period of time so that we don't lose 400,000 people Mm. and make millions of people sick and potentially have lifelong impact.
0: That's right. That's right.
4: So that's the calculus and it's saying how much money can we get how many can we stop the you know trade of, of you know in in banking and in stock can we stop a little bit of that back and forth so that we can just for one moment secure people in time I mean, we talked about wiping out rents, mortgages, like really, really trying to make it so the only people who are who are leaving their houses are the people who are, would be delivering groceries to everybody because Ooh. we're all housed and we're all, um, you know, we're all taking care of there and we're not leaving our, our homes to interact with other people to even go grocery shopping because we have made it possible for that to be a thing that we can get to everybody safely. God. And just that being it, right? Think about how many more people could be alive right now. Oh my so, God. And it's not that, I mean, we spent so much money trying not to do that, but but to their credit, uh, and I mean credit just kind of sarcastically, a lot mm-hmm. of people made a ton of money on that, right? But mm-hmm. I'm just saying, like, that's the challenge I think is people made money on that, right? And we spent tons of money trying to, to protect people from it, but people are suffering. Mm-hmm. And we could have for a cheaper amount, just done away with all that drama, and saved ourselves people
0: too. Wow. I'm gonna have a education expert on uh, this episode as well, but just speaking about schools and what you're saying right now, uh, can you speak to us a little bit before you go about what the data shows currently about the the, the safety and uh, what can go into the decision-making about whether we or not we open schools sooner before later? Um, we know a little bit more at this time compared to months ago. So what can you tell us about the uh, fate of this virus as it relates to students in school.
4: Um, schools can be super spreader events, um, and and again, going back to how much we don't know about this virus, we don't know what the long term impact of having the virus can be on kids. And then there's also the worker protection, you know, issue for our teachers um, who are not children and who would be part of those events and who would you know be ex- be experiencing all the ramifications of it. So. Yeah, the data right now don't show that it is safe at this moment to reopen the schools and mass in the way we were doing things before, but I think this brings up two important issues. um, And I'm sure you'll probably get into this with the person who's doing education one, we've been talking about schools without walls for decades. Does this force us to reimagine what education looks like beyond just trying to replace the walls at school with the walls at home. Like, what does it look like to be able to really transform a curriculum so that students are moving around and out, especially in their younger years? So I think it, I think, I think. this opens up an opportunity to be able to think about how do we balance the, the mental health and the developmental needs of kids with their physical health. But I don't think the data right now are showing us we should be just opening up schools as we did them before and putting everyone at risk. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where we, where we are on that.
0: I mean, it's just common sense. I mean, I realize that we don't all have sense in common, but that's just middle of the road, just basic logic that everyone should, you know, uh, abide by. I mean, I understand that the data says what it says and that it's subject to people's interpretation. Heck, they're justifying people storming the Capitol on certain sides of these issues. And so I, I, I just don't know what to say. I just wish more people... Uh, We we just do the right thing, because it's hard to listen to you, Dr. Flo, and not think about those 400,000 people that you spoke about, you know, some of those are people that we love, you know, I lost somebody recently, you know, and Mm -hmm. you've lost people around you, I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure of it, you know. So, I mean, just from a scientific standpoint, we can speak about it. From a mental health standpoint, we can speak about it. From an educational right. standpoint, we can speak about it. But um, do you wanna riff a little bit about the, the personal? I mean, you don't have to get super personal, but I, I'm just curious. I mean, we have lives and this is not mm-hmm. a joke. I mean, yeah. people are dying from this and it's because of the you know budgets and you know they, they indicate our priorities. And as you said, if we're willing to trade lives uh, for this virus. I I, I just don't, well, I, I know that that's just not the way to go. It's not healthy. Dr. Flo, can you riff a little bit before we go just the personal impact that this has yeah. on epidemiologists? Uh, speak to us about that a little bit, please.
4: Absolutely. So, you know, I mean, I haven't I haven't had a chance to talk about this publicly, but over the Christmas break, I had taken a few weeks off and um, started the break um, reading through the Pfizer and Moderna documents because they were coming out right as I was going on on downtime. And then I get a a notification from my cousins that my uncle has contracted um, COVID and is in the hospital. Mm. And so I now go into, you know, manager and um, communicator for the family of what's going on. So mm-hmm. with the time zone difference, because my family's on the East Coast, this means I'm up at three o'clock in the morning, having conversations with physicians when they're doing rounds um, mm-hmm. on, on certain days, you know, and I am, you know, trying to relay information back. And my uncle is very insistent that he's not making any major decisions until they run them through me.
2: That's right. Which.
4: Which, you know, then then right, there's this added pressure like this is right. these, are you know, I always try to depersonalize data and I always try to give the best of what I would give if it were, um, you know, for my family. But mm-hmm. there's also a reason why, you know, in medicine and in lots of other professions, you're not supposed to represent or do your profession with family because mm-hmm. your you, your ability to be clear minded about it at times is yes. is different because you have you are you're so personally invested that you start throwing out things that you know don't make sense right Mm. um and so there is a way where i was you know i said to my my husband i I was like you know please don't let me accidentally kill my uncle Mm. um and I meant that because as you're reading through what we know right which is the okay I'm putting on my logical brain now this is uh you know a a, a patient who's experiencing this okay I need to go to what do we know what are the options Mm -hmm. and a lot of the options are this is under like we talked about emergency use authorization Mm -hmm. and though the recommended way of doing this is maybe start with one dose and then make your judgment. Like that's the kind of thing. Or, or this has been proven to neither um, be harmful with for people with COVID-19 nor to be, but nor has it been proven to be helpful for people with COVID-19. Like that's the level of recommendation that you're getting. You're not getting administer this therapeutic at this time and this dosage, um, you know, for this many days and you should expect to see this, this, and this the way that you normally would with something that had been fully approved, right? because it would go through a clinical trial. And I bring that up because so many people are worried about the the vaccine and how fast it was developed and what do we know about it and blah, 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 blah. And I get that. Mm-hmm. But please know that there has been no clinical trial for a lot of the therapeutics we're using once you already have COVID. So mm-hmm. there, you're not getting the benefit of 40,000 people having been in a clinical trial for you to be able to test something out, you're getting this sort of worked on eight patients in Boston last week.
2: Mm, wow. good,
4: luck. good luck. Here's what we did and we were guessing good luck. I want to know the role of my soul in the spirit world. I want to know the role of my soul
2: in the